Y'all trying to get me to sing, I can only exercise one gift. You see me spitting bars. No, uh, no, 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 no. Done. There, there, there's, a, there, there's a line. I'm not messing with y'all. I'm not messing with y'all. All right. There, there's a line in that song. I'm going to stay in my lane. There's a line in that song that talks about how great the faithfulness of our God is. And it's, it's amazing. I woke up this morning and, and really was thinking about Psalms 36, verse 5, where it says that your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. But then it goes on to say, and your faithfulness extends to the clouds. And us celebrating three years today really is an extension of God's faithfulness. He's been good to us. And trust me, don't, don't get it twisted. It's not strategy. It's not financial resources. It's nothing but God's favor and God's grace. When he looks down and like Nehemiah 2 says, the good hand of the Lord is on us. And I, I just believe that God has been faithful down through the years. We started our church, really our first meeting was 2015, June 25th. Uh, we met in a small space. I don't know if y'all remember uh, Tompkins in Putnam, uh, a place called, it was called Diamond Hall. It was a little small little space where we did our first vision night and asked people to come in and we were going to cast vision on what it means to start a church. I mean, you literally can go on any block in Brooklyn and see a church. So why another church? We need to answer those questions. And people showed up. We were surprised. It was a handful of us. Anybody was, was there that first night? Wave your hand. Yeah, I see y'all. So it was a handful of us, and we got in there and really tried to talk about our core convictions and the things that we believe that the Lord was calling us to in this neighborhood. And three years later, really four years if you count back from 2015, we launched in 2016. But if you, you just look over the years, like God really has been gracious uh, to meet us. And even that space, man, y'all remember that Sunday we got there and the, the padlock was on the door and we had to run down the street in a, a coffee shop slash boutique and and did Bible study, and God has just been gracious to open up door after door after door, and I'm grateful to serve a God like that. You know, our mission statement is we believe that we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city, and one of the beautiful things about that mission statement is that we, we don't believe we're some new phenomenon. We believe that we're joining Jesus and what he already has been doing. Y'all think we're doing something because we celebrated uh, three years. I know a church down the street that celebrates uh, two centuries. I'm not joking. I'm so serious. And so uh, God has been faithful to this neighborhood before Epiphany. He'll be faithful after Epiphany because he's faithful to his mission, not our church. Because we're not the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom. And I'm grateful to be able to join him in what he is already doing. I would be remiss if I didn't thank God for some of the people that kind of make this thing work. And uh, first, let me do this. Let me thank God for Epiphany staff. Uh, Gabe is our operations manager. Let's thank God for him. Is Lamik in here? Lamik is, is here. We just brought Lamik on. She's killing it. Man, our staff is growing. Amen. So I'm grateful for our staff. Thank you to all of our, our deacons as well. If you're a deacon in here, if you could just wave your hand. All deacons, we want to honor you today. Man, our deacons do amazing work. Our elder candidate, Timmy, where you at, Timmy? Wave your hand, brother. Timmy's yet holding on. He's still here. Amen. He's doing all right. Amen. So we're, we're, we're grateful for you guys. Also, all of our ministry leaders, if you lead a ministry, if you could wave your hand. Let's thank God for our ministry leaders. All of our small group leaders and hosts, can you wave your hand? Amen. 
I know we honored this beautiful woman, but can we thank God once more for my wife, Ty? Amen. 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 Y'all really don't know how she really, really holds it down. She's the only person I know that literally, when she talks to you and she rebukes you, she knows how to, like, cut you. But but she but you but you always you always walk away and, and just feel like you can love Jesus more because of it, and so I'm I'm grateful for uh, just a strong woman of God, a woman that prays and a woman that discerns well, and I'm I'm grateful for her. Also, thank God for my boys. Jeremy is with us. Won't you stand up, Jeremy? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Y'all celebrate my son, y'all. My my oldest son Brandon is in the kids' room and he's serving. You know, when, when you plant a church, you, it's never just me planting a church, but it's a group of people that are doing it and family. And uh, I wouldn't be faithful to you as a pastor if I wasn't faithful to my family at home. And y'all should hold me accountable for that. Don't ever let me kill it in church and fail at home. Y'all send me out of here if that, if that becomes the case. But I'm grateful for my family. Uh, lastly, let me do this, and, and then I'm going to get out the way because I'm not preaching today. They say you, you don't bring your, 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 your own gift to your own birthday party, so we got somebody else preaching today. That's what they taught us. Um, but let me say this. You know, we have been doing a capital campaign called Spread Love, and the reason we're doing that is because we're trying to get into a bigger or larger space. Uh, as you, you can look around the room and see that, you know, it's just getting tighter and tighter in here. If you peeked into the kids' room, you'll see that it's getting tighter and tighter in there. Y'all are being fruitful and multiplying. And so the baby's room is getting tighter and tighter. <laughs> Amen. Um, and so, it, it, you know, and we're, we're spread across three services. We have a 930 service, 1130 service, and a 130 service. And so it, it becomes hard for you guys to, to build community and know who you're, you know, I told you all before, you can be on a train next to somebody, not even know that they go to the same church as you. They just go to a different service. And so we're trying to figure out how to get to a bigger space. And we got really intentional about looking for spaces in January. In January, we started to just exhaust all avenues. Uh, it's hard out here in these uh, these streets trying to find space, uh, big enough space that's affordable. It's really, really tough to do that. Uh, there, there's Brandon. Let me let me celebrate him. Amen. So so it's hard to find find big enough space that, that's affordable. My boy, if y'all know my boys, they hate stuff like this. Uh, it's hard to find that space, and so uh, I do want to lay before you, I, I don't have any big announcement today more than I, I want to say that there is an opportunity that is on the table, and I, I can't discuss much of it because it's, it's uh, sensitive at this point, but, um, you know, the Lord has opened up some doors this week, and I want to ask you guys to join me in praying, but not only praying, you know, the Bible often calls us, Acts 13 uh, talks about how they were in the church of Antioch, and they were fasting and praying. So we want a couple uh, prayer with fasting. So I'm going to ask you guys, call the church to a fast on Wednesday. This Wednesday, we want to ask that you do not eat breakfast, you do not eat lunch, uh, and fast up until 6 o'clock. And at 6 o'clock, we will have food here. So you can come a little early to Bible study. We'll have food here for us to break the fast together. Uh, and then at 7 o'clock on the dot on Wednesday, we'll be on our knees. And my hope and prayer is to fill up this room. So if you guys can come in here, man, how dope would it be if y'all came here from a long, chaotic day of work and just walked into an atmosphere of just prayers, just going up. And I, I want to have that on Wednesday. So 6 o'clock, we'll break the fast together. 7 o'clock, we'll pray, and then we'll roll right into Bible study after that. 
Um, and so I'm asking you guys to fast and pray because there's some things uh, with the opportunity that's before us that if God doesn't do it, it ain't going to happen. And, and I love that, man. It puts you in a place of dependency where your resources can't buy it. You know, your, your favor that you have with people just can't earn it. But what you need is for heaven to be like, that's mine, and now I'm going to redeem it for my glory. And y'all going to put a church right in there and preach the gospel. And so we're, we're praying for this opportunity, and I'm going to ask you guys to join us. I pray that I can stand before you soon and announce something amazing. Uh, but until then, we're, we're going to trust uh, the faithfulness of our God. Amen? Amen? All right, well, I'm not preaching today. My, my boy is here, and he got on his pretty pants today. His pretty pants. And what's funny about it, he's the, my boy, Pastor Ern, he, he literally is one of my, my best friends in ministry. He's, um, he's the lead pastor of Epiphany Church in Camden. And I know he's not wearing those pants in Camden. I just know he's not. He comes to Brooklyn to wear those pants. Came through dripping. Amen. So listen, he, he's, he's one of my, my, my favorite people in the world. And I, I honestly, I really, I love him and more, I'm more impressed with him outside of the pulpit than I am inside of the pulpit. Oh, he can preach. Let, let me just put that out there first. So I don't, that's not hyper. He can preach, but I love him because he's faithful to his wife. He's a faithful husband and a faithful father and a faithful friend. And I'm, I'm, I love people like that. And, and so I'm excited about him. There have been times where theologically, I'm just like, yeah, well, what about this? And what about that? And I can call him and he always picks up. Always, I mean, he picks up on like the first, maybe the second ring, and I'm grateful for that. Um, but but I'm, I'm also grateful that he's here to preach to us today, and I believe that we're going to be ministered to because of God using him. So do me a favor, point your hands his way. And after I pray, y'all know how we do. Y'all give him a Brooklyn welcome, y'all. Father, grateful for uh, my brother, my dear brother, Pastor Ernie. He stands before us today. May he do so not in his own power, in his own strength, his own intellect. May he stand before us in the power of your spirit. So would you use him, okay, oh God, and I pray that your spirit would be deeply dwelling within him. But, Father, we also need your spirit to hear. So, Father, would you move on us today? I pray for the believer today. May we be strengthened through your word. I also pray for the one that doesn't know you today, and I pray that they would be convicted and cut to conversion today. They would trust you and believe in you, walking into here, not believing you, and walking out of here saying, I believe in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We believe that your gospel has that power, and so would he be faithful to preaching the gospel? And Father, help us today, O oh God, to not only celebrate three years, but Father, help us to celebrate all that you were doing in this community through local churches. We're grateful for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all give my boy a good Brooklyn welcome. You know, I don't know if your pastor was complimenting me or disrespecting me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I love him. He is my friend. Can we give it up for him one more time? His lovely wife's eye. And to be fair, I bought these pants in the Camden area. I just, I'm just trying them out up here first, you know? This is, it's like when a comedian goes to a com comedian club, they, they try out their jerks first. So I'm just trying these pants out to see what the reaction will be, and then maybe I'll Based upon that, I may or may not wear them in Camden. <laughs> I, love, I love it. Man, I'm so glad to be here to celebrate with you all on your third anniversary. Can we give the Lord praise for that one more time? That's so awesome. 
Y'all, y'all lit lit up in here, boy. Y'all, I mean, I seen you move. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that, that's, that's powerful. I'm telling you, I'm going to let you know ahead of time. I'm going to take that video that you made. Uh, I'm going to Photoshop all your heads off of it, put my church members on it. And when you put it out there at 230, we're going to put it out there at 244 and claim that you stole it from us. <laughs> this is great. Uh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm telling you, some of my pre- two of my preaching heroes are Pastor Eric Mason and Dave Chappelle. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn how to mix the both of them with some Jesus, sprinkle it in. You know what I'm saying? And we'll, we'll figure it out. All right, so y'all, y'all going to talk back today then. That's what... What section? I, Tracy's back there, so Tracy got my back. All right, Tracy got my, Tracy got my back. If I look over there, that means I need to, because I got to talk about some hard stuff. Is that all right? Okay, all right. So get with me, if you will. I'm in Luke, the fifth chapter. It's right next to Proverbs. Uh, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, fifth chapter. Uh, I want to start at the first verse, work my way down to the 11th verse. It simply says, As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats on the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats which belonged to Simon, and he asked them to put put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've been working hard all night long and have caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners and the other boats to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Peter saw this, he hopped over the fish and he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Jesus says this, don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. For now on, from now on, you will be catching people. Then they bought the boats to the land, left everything, and followed him. Therein ends the reading of God's word. May we hide it in our hearts and minds that we may not sin against him. Why don't you join me in prayer one more time? Dear God, it is by the grace of your son that we come just thanking you for this day. Thank you for your faithfulness in the city. Thank you for your faithfulness to this church and through the, through the pastors here, God. And I just pray that you will bless us now. Anoint the listening ears. Um, anoint my vocal cords, Lord, that so people may hear the gospel afresh and be encouraged and enthusiastic to live it out on a continual basis. So, Lord, we love you. We honor you. and We give you praise in Jesus' name. And all the people that agree with that say amen. 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 So, um, as you know, I live in Camden. I live in New Jersey. And um, one of the big problems that we have in New Jersey, I don't know if you have it here, is called traffic. Anybody ever heard of traffic before? Few things are more worrisome to our soul than traffic. And every year, highways are becoming more and more congested. And that's because Americans drive nearly twice as much as they did in, 19, in 1980. But the public roads have only increased incrementally. So consequently, what's happening, according to one study, is that Americans will spend 42 hours a year in traffic and lose over $1,400 idling gas. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. That means that during the span of your working career, you will spend 2.5 months in traffic and waste nearly $65 in gas. 
Now, it, it's an unavoidable, especially during the busy hours of the day. And if you're not careful, careful, you can get so frustrated in a traffic jam that it will absolutely mess up the rest of your day, right? But there is a deeper problem with our issue with traffic. The main reason why we dislike traffic jams so much is because we feel like they waste our time and they prevent us from getting to the destination that we want to go as quickly as possible. We know that if we move forward too quickly, it could cause some irreparable damage. So therefore, instead of moving, we just wait. And in the same way, I have the sneaky suspicion that some of you all are stuck in the traffic jams of life. You feel like your life is at a standstill. You feel like you've hit a standstill, and it's as though your life has hit a road closure, and then now God has not even provided a detour for you. So instead of you wasting gas, you're wasting something much more valuable. You feel like you're wasting your life. It's exhausting. It's tiring. You're worn out. You're frustrated. And maybe some of you under the sound of my voice have found themselves in a season like that where you've tried everything in your power to improve your situation, but it seems like nothing is working. You, you, your relationship status is unchanged. Your raises have been eaten up by inflation. Your check is swallowed up by student loans, and your dream career has been halted by corporate bureaucracy. You, ju you just going through it, and you feel like you've hit a glass ceiling, and you like, God, when you going to show up? Because I've been trying to worship you in this hallway, but the hallway's dark. Can you turn the lights on? I can't hear your voice. God, where are you at? This is a society that honors achievement and progress and graduation. And you simply feel like you do not measure up. And on some of your dark days, you would say, I don't know if God is with me. I don't know if God is with me. You come in here to perplexed. Somebody is coming here perturbed and puzzled. But I'm here to tell you. That God can get you unstuck and accelerate your life. Because God has a way of applying his supernatural power to your situation so that his plans come to pass much more quickly than humanly possible. He, he has a way of shifting circumstances, removing obstacles, and helping you make progress in the face of opposition. You don't have to go too far in the Bible to find some examples of this. You've seen with Moses as he was living as a shepherd in the desert for 40 years. And I'm sure that he thought about times that he was going to be able to deliver Israel. And once he reached 80, I'm sure that he ceased to believe that it was possible. But then he had an encounter at the burning bush. And the Lord showed up. And the Lord gave, and after a season of acceleration, he was compelled to confront the king of Israel on their stateside oppression. And God did in a matter of days what he couldn't do in half a lifetime. That's because the Lord knows how to accelerate you. All you have to do is look at the lady with the issue of blood. Some physicians would argue that she had this problem because her blood wouldn't clot. It didn't have the necessary protein. So therefore, it, she was always had this excess bleeding. But as soon as she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, as soon as she believed by faith that Jesus was a healer, that he could heal her body, God did in a millisecond what doctors couldn't do in a decade. And I would argue for you today, church, that that is what acceleration is. It's when God takes his divine hand, he puts it on your situation, and he makes up for the time that you thought that you had lost. And once you get to the destination, you realize it's better than you expected. Here's two things that I want to let you know about being stuck. N number one, 
sometimes our perception doesn't accurately represent our reality. See, because you keep telling people that you're stuck. You keep telling people that your life is not progressing. But maybe God is allowing you to take some steps back because he is trying to give you a running head start into what he has for you. Perhaps, right? Or, or here's another thing. A lot of us don't feel like we're making progress because we keep, we keep comparing ourselves to other people. That's what we do. We, we, we are so, many of us are so busy trying to live somebody else's life that we fail to live the life that God has given us. And we're robbing him of maximizing his glory in our lives. Oh, y'all ain't talking back to me in here, Brooklyn. Like, like, like here's the thing. You have growth potential. The Lord is going to use you, but you have to be reminded that your growth potential is different than other people's, right? And God is not going to hold you accountable for the gifts that he's given others. He's going to hold you accountable for the gifts that he's given you to maximize. So here's what I would say. You've got to focus more on your progress than the progress of your peers. Because nothing will steal your joy more than comparing yourself with others. God, they, and see, and jealousy is real subtle. When you're jealous, you get upset with God that he gave somebody something that you believe you should deserve. That's a sense of entitlement. It means that we feel like we, we deserve some special treatment. Baby, let me tell you, you don't deserve anything but the judgment of God. You don't deserve anything but hell, death, and destruction. But one day, Jesus stepped on the scene. And he said, I'm not going to allow you to endure the shame. I'm going to place it upon myself. So you don't have to. So, 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 so I was like, I was like, Dad, that's, the, that's my clothes right there. I was like, son, pull it back in. So, so here in the words of Eleanor Roosevelt, comparison is the thief of joy. So, so comparison is hindering the spirit from producing the fruit of joy in your life because you always want what somebody else has. What about what you have? What about 1 Peter 4.10 that you've been given a unique skill and a unique set and a unique set of giftings that God can use? What about Ephesians 2.10 that says you are his workmanship and he has good works outlined or already outlined for you to walk in? What about that? You are so, we get so busy and try to abandon the plans of God and just walk in your purpose. Walk in what God has given you and stop being so worried about what others have. If you got to unfollow on Facebook, you just got to do it sometimes. Look at your neighbor, tell him, hold on to your sanity. That's right. Sometimes, sometimes I don't look at Instagram stories on Sunday morning, Doc. I, listen, because sometimes you'll struggle looking at other people's highlights, but you won't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know what I'm saying? So we so busy comparing and contrasting the highlight reel, but you don't know the prayer that went into that. You don't know the pain that they experienced. You don't know the tears that they cried. You don't know the, you don't know the demonic tact that they've been under in order for something like that to come to fruition. So you might not, you might think you want that, but you may not really want that. Okay, all right, all right, sir. All right, all right. All right, all right now. All right now. I love yo, Brooklyn. I love y'all. Y'all, you know, for a while you guys were my favorite church. Until I became a pastor, then y'all became my second favorite church. Well, really, while I was pastoring some days, y'all were still my favorite truck because I didn't like my product yet. You know what I'm saying? But now that we turned into Hillsong, the things are changing. Well, I mean with like the lights and never mind, never mind, never mind. Backroom conversation, backroom conversation. All right. 
I'm saying it's important, you know what I'm saying? Try to get the smoke and all that, but I don't want to cause anybody an asthma attack, you know what I'm saying? My older saints saying, they're like, no, Pastor, we don't, we don't believe in this. Can you, why do you have to have all this? All right, okay, okay. So, uh, oh. so if you feel stuck, right, maybe it's God letting you know that some things need to change, right? Some of us are in a mess. We're in a diabolical situation, but in the words of Albert Einstein, you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created it in the first place. So maybe God is saying, you need to change. You need to apply new principles because where there is divine involvement, there is automatic improvement. All right, so, so if that's you today, I'm glad you're here. And I believe this exchange between Peter and Jesus will not only help us get unstuck, but we will see how the power of the gospel can be applied to our lives so that the plan of God can be manifest more quickly than possible. So I want to preach from the subject today, the accelerated life, accelerated life. Now, I don't think anything personifies acceleration quite like this passage, because if you look at it, Simon Peter goes from having the worst day in his business career to being upgraded to Jesus inner circle in less than an afternoon. I would say that's acceleration. So, so here's what's going on, right? So let me give you the backdrop of, of Luke 5. So, um, so Jesus has been preaching. He's been preaching up a storm. Each sermon has been a home run. He's been closing at the end. He's been hooping and squalling. He's, he's killing it right now. He, oh, Lord. Ah! He's he doing it. Like Jesus is killing it. So people are coming all over to hear what Jesus has to say. It's in the notes, right? It was in the first sermon, right? Okay. Okay. So, so large groups of people were coming to hear Jesus preach, right? So Jesus was like, yo, but there's a big problem here. The problem is, is that some of these people can't hear me. So what he does is he says, yo, I'm not, I'm going to get into the fisherman's boat, and then I'm going to have to push out a little bit. And then I, and, and like a fisherman would throw the nets out of the boat in order to reach the, to get the fish, I'm going to take the nets of the gospel and throw it over the people so they can hear us, right? So, so here's my first point. Here's my first point. Um, if you want the gospel to accelerate in your life, you have to be a good steward over what's not working, right? Be a good steward over what's not working. Now, now in this passage, we're introduced to someone I think we can all uh, find some identity in, right? Some affinity with. It's a physically spent Simon Peter, right? So, so Simon is the CEO of a commercial fishing business, and he and all of his associates, they have worked all night because that's when you fish, right? And since his livelihood is dependent upon the haul, that's how he, that's how he provided for his family, um, you can imagine that he didn't catch any fish all night. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you've been doing a lot of work, but it's unfruitful. That, that, that's what he's saying. He said, he said, I've been working, but my work hasn't been fruitful. So therefore, I get discouraged. But what's hap what happens is Jesus steps to the scene and helps him to see a different dynamic of fruitfulness. Right? So, he, so he says, before the man clocked out, now think about it, he's tired. The text says that before he left, he was mending his nets. Somebody say mending his nets. Now, I don't want you to overlook that detail because here's what happens. If you don't mend your nets, then your boats begin to stink when you try to use it again. Because the nets were thrown out of the boat and they dragged the bottom of the sea. And sometimes they caught dead fish. Sometimes they caught mud. And if they weren't rot, if they rot or if they weren't washed, they would eventually rot and become ineffective. So when Jesus approaches him, what he finds them doing is removing the debris out of the net. 
He's repairing the tears, all of that type of stuff. So, and then he takes the net. At the end of the day, they'll take the net and they'll lay it on the side, the seashore, and then let the sun sort of bake it so it can dry for the next day. Now, now here, here's what I want you to notice. These are the same nets that didn't catch anything the night before. Right? Y'all got that? These are the same nets that did not, that did not catch any fish. So apparently, they were not working well for some reason. So he caught nothing. But instead of discarding the nets and getting rid of them and going and getting new ones, what he was doing was being a good steward over the things that weren't working. Right? So instead of discarding them, he fixed them. So what he was doing was he was making best use of a broken situation. In other words, even though they weren't working well, even though the nets did not work like he wanted them to, he was trying to do the very best with what he had. So in order for you to see the, or live the accelerated life, you got to be a good steward of what's not working. Like, like, here's the thing. I know you want the new. I know you want the better. I know you want the upgrade. And you've been praying about it and seeking the Lord. And he's like, uh-huh, I hear you. Uh, but what is the point of giving you more if you're not maximizing what you got? Like, like, like what about that? He said, I, I'm not going to give you anything until you maximize what I've already given you. Because frankly, if I gave you something, maybe you don't have the maturity or the capacity to handle at this time, right? So what's the point of giving you something that you don't have the maturity to handle, and then you get to the place that you want to, but your, but your character can't keep you there? That's what he's saying. He's like, so you think something is a blessing. You like, God, I want to walk in my purpose, and I want to walk, in, my, I wanna walk in, the, in the gift of God. And he's like, name me one person in the scripture that didn't go through some crap first before they reached their destination. He did this because he's working through their sanctification process. He realizes that there's some impurities in us that have to be rid out of us in order for us to embrace and appreciate what he really has for us. So he's saying, you got to wait on it a little bit. He said, you got to maximize that thing. It's all right for you to experience failure because that's God working in and through your faith. He's helping you in that situation. So, so, so all I'm trying to say is God is like, I'm not going to give you anything more until you work with what you got. Now, here's why. Because God is your father, not your sugar daddy. That's what he is. Not your, I, I got, there's, there's an amen. I don't, there's an amen over there somewhere. Somebody's withholding it in the congregation today. Here we go. I got, I'm going to explain what that means. Some of my theologians are like, what, was, what does this Negro mean by this? such a statement? I haven't read that in Burkhoff, Voss, or any of the other systematic theologies. Where did he even come up with that from? <laughs> so, so what he's saying is God is not going to bless you with more because if he did, it would only help underwrite your idolatry. There are some things that we appreciate more than God. And if he gave you what you want, perhaps he'd be just throwing fuel in the fire so that thing would push you away from God instead of pulling you towards him. Come on in here, Jesus. Let me ask you this. I, I know you got desires in your heart. I know you've got passion and ambition. You've got creativity and you're poised with purpose. You've got all of these degrees and a lot of student loans as well. But, but, but you've got a lot of stuff. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm my bad. I'm, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You've got all of this stuff going on. But what is the point of getting all that stuff if your soul is in bankruptcy? What's the point of it? You upset with God that you didn't get it by now. And he's like, you don't know or don't see what I see. You upset that it didn't happen. I'm saying it's a blessing that it didn't happen. 
All you got to do is look at Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, he had this thorn in his side, and he was like, God, I need you to remove it. God was like, nah, I'm going to give you the grace to overcome it or make it through. See, so God and, uh, God and Paul were seeing the same situation in different ways. Paul was saying, I've never been this bad. Jesus was saying, no, you've never been this blessed. He said, no, I've, I've never experienced such hurt. He was saying, no, you've never been this humble. He was like, God, I've never experienced this much pain. He said, no, you've never been in this much prayer. He said, so sometimes you want some stuff from God, but God is like, it's better that I leave it than take it away. We want some stuff from God that we just aren't able to handle yet. My little daughter, Amela, she's so sweet. You know, she's so sweet. She, she always trolls me. When I go to bed at night, I'm like, all right, baby, have a good night. She'd be like, oh, have a good night, Pastor Ernie, Daddy. I'm like, you disrespectful. You must have learned that from your mom. That's just a joke, baby. I don't really mean that. I mean, it's, I don't really mean that. I don't mean that. She, she's very respectful, you know. Help me for me. Amen. So, so I said, so I had a laser pointer one day, and I gave, Amela was like, please, Daddy, let me use it. So I, I let her use it. I said, listen, um. Here's what I want you to do. Please don't point it at anybody. Don't point it at your brother. Don't point it at the TV. Don't point it at me. Don't point it at your mom. She said she nodded her head in agreement. But as soon as I put it into her hand, she pointed at everybody. It was embarrassing. But, but, but it was my fault. It was me. You know why? Because I gave her a gift that her maturity couldn't handle. I knew she couldn't handle that. But I entrusted it to her anyway. And I ended up paying for it later. So God is like, I would rather not give you this right now because if you got it, it will cause you too much pain. You will go down a negative path and you don't want me to have to reverse things later. So he said, so let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What are some of the things that aren't working well in your life? What are some things that ain't working well? What are some situations that God wants you to fix instead of ditch? What are some relationships that you have long given up on that God is like, no, I want you to repair that thing. The, the reason that it's not repaired is because of your pride. Your pride won't let you say, I'm sorry. And you know you was dead wrong, right? You know you was dead. You want me to forgive you for crimes that you've committed against me. But you can't show that same type of generosity and love to your brother that you see every day. He's saying, go back and fix that thing. Don't take communion if you ain't fix it. Spend your time with Jesus and confess and repent and then come back and enjoy the blessed sacrament. So he's saying, listen, so, so let me ask you this. On the flip side, what's some debris in your life that you need to discard that's preventing you from being as successful as God wants you to be? What's some stuff, what's some stuff you're holding on to that you're like, God, I need this because it's an indispensable part of your life. And God is like, I want to remove it to you. So let me say this. So, oh, yeah, okay, good, good, good. So, so here's, here's the thing. Now, there are some circumstances that are not working out well for us, right? Some of y'all are like, God, I'm ready. I feel stuck at this job. Things aren't working out. Um, I've, I've hit a glass ceiling. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I, I know. I hear you. But you also come in 15 minutes late. And then you take an hour and a half break. And then when you get asked to work a few extra hours, you get upset with your boss, and he only trying to put a little bit of money in your pocket. You say that you want to hang out with your friends and have the little Instagram travel stories and all that type of stuff, but when, but when it's time to be a shoulder to cry on, you don't never answer the phone. You don't answer DMs. And when it's time to put a payment on the trip, you don't even want to go. Dang, the trip only $300 on Groupon. They need to fit it out. <laughs> so he's saying, like, like you're saying that you want this stuff. 
Like you saying that you want community, but every time something happens, you want to retreat into isolationism. You want to go work on yourself, and then people got to send you text messages and write notes on the legs of pigeons and fly them in the air to find you. You saying we, we say we want things, but God is saying, listen, if you want more, you better work that thing that you got like it's the last thing you're going to get. He said, you better treat that Mitsubishi like it's a Mercedes. Better do it. You better treat that bus pass like it's a Benz. You better be on there ha happy because it's God's money that helped you buy it. It's he gave you the ability to make the wealth that you had to get to work every day. He woke you up that morning. He started you on your way. Your bed wasn't your cooling board. So it is him that we give prayer. You better take care of that little meager condo like it's a magnificent castle. Better fold them clothes, clean it. Lord, I appreciate all this. I know this is old-fashioned, and I know that these, these clothes are from two seasons ago, but I'm grateful for them. Because, listen, a lot of people would love to have your problems. So that's number one. That's number one. Here's my second point. Here's my second point. If you want to see your life accelerate, you better get used to Jesus invading your personal space. I could say that again, couldn't I? Could I say that? You better get used to G. I'll illustrate, right? So the early morning hours are normally my best time, most productive. That's when I'm spending time with Jesus and praying and lifting up his name. Uh, but the downside is, is that I am exhausted in the evenings. I'm talking about by, by around 7.53, I'm barely making it. I'm praying, God, give me the Holy Ghost so I can put these kids to bed. But, but, but I've been blessed with a wife. She's the exact opposite. She has most of her energy in the nighttime. So she gets a, she's a night owl, can work through the night, finish projects, all type of stuff. And I'm barely dragging myself into bed. Then she hops into bed with so much energy. She started laughing at clips on IG, showing me ideas. He's like, baby, why don't you apply this, this idea to our social media that Epiphany Brooklyn is using? I'm like, girl, turn that thing off. <laughs> Delete that. Delete that. Delete that. <laughs> Try to introduce me to no creative ideas at 806. It's 806. <laughs> I'm saying. Tell the truth, shame the devil. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Yeah. And then, like, that's all cool. So she'll, she'll come in, she's laughing, she's putting her cold feet on my back and all that type of stuff. Some of y'all know what that's like, right? Like, and then, and then I'm like the only child, any only children in here. So, like, I've, I've, I've been married for a while, but I'm kind of not used to people touching my stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like it a certain type of way. And then I'm like, yo, why are you touching my stuff? And then, like, her voice, like, my, I don't say it with a lot of bass. Like, I, like, the, like, the octave goes up. So I'll be like, why, why, are, you, why are you touching my stuff? Like, like that, right? Like that's. And then she'll look at me and she'll go, uh, <laughs> number one, because I want to. Uh, <laughs> number two, because I can. Uh, number three, because what's yours is mine and mine's is mine. And number four, uh, we've been married for almost 10 years, so you better, better get used to me invading your personal space. So I'm telling you, you talk about we want intimacy with Jesus. We want to walk with him dearly. We want to walk in the presence and the blessings of God. But you better get used to Jesus telling you what to do with the stuff that you have and not get offended each time that he does it. So here's, here's the scene. Remember, the, the masses are pressing to hear Jesus teach. But Jesus had a problem. Not everyone can hear him. So what he did is he hopped in Peter's boat without Peter's permission. And he said, push out a little bit from the land. So this is what he did. It's a beautiful picture here. So he uses Peter's boat as a podium. He used the Sea of Galilee as a sound system. And his voice carried clear over the water so everyone could hear his voice. Now I want you to picture this. Now Simon Peter is dead tired. He's tired. 
His body is achy, right? He been working all night. He smell like fish. Smell like carp, tilapia, catfish. The man's upset. All he wants to do is go home, watch some Netflix, eat a meal, take a shower, and go to bed. But, but right about the time that he's about to call it a night, Jesus hops into his boat. And listen, Jesus hopped into his boat without permission. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't ask him to get it. He, he didn't sign no release form. He didn't ask permission. He, he didn't do anything. He hopped into those. He hopped into his boat and asked him to do the very same thing that Peter didn't want to do, and that's go back out into the water. Now, here's the thing. Peter's boat is his personal domain. He spent a lot of time in this boat. It's like his second home. And when Jesus steps into it, he starts rearranging things. He's like, God, I've been doing, I've been fishing a certain type of way my whole life. This is my pattern. This is what I've been doing. But now you hopping in here and you rearranging everything. And that's the same thing that some of us feel. Like when, when we meet Jesus, when we submit our lives to him, like everything is good at first. We're in that honeymoon stage. But then Jesus is like, nah, it's some stuff we got to rearrange. Nah, 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 nah. You are a hoarder of emotion because of the trauma of your past. And some of that stuff we got to work through and discard. That's what he's saying. He says, I'm not going to take a back seat to your ambition because you want to feel better about your situation because you're struggling with trauma. He's like, no, no. He's like, I'm not going. He said, I'm not going to take a back seat to addressing your porn issue. He said, no, no. It's time that we resolve that anger issue that you have from your daddy issues and you project on everyone, including potential spouses. He's like, no, no, we got, we, got to talk, we got to talk about we got to talk about this thing. We got to talk about your isolationism, about how you've depended on yourself your whole life. So now it's unique and hard for you to be in community. He said, no, no, we, we've got to talk. He's got, we've got to talk about, about this. So what the Lord is saying is you want to see your life accelerate? You want to see things change? You want to walk in the plans and purposes of God? It means that you have to open up every door in your house to him. Because your house is not clean until your closets are organized. Jesus is saying, I want the passcode to your life. I want the passcode. Now, 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 here, now, I want you to remember this. I might lose my amens on this, but I'm going to preach it. Because B told me I could say hard stuff up here. Amen. So remember, this boat is how Peter made his money. It's a tool on how he earned his money. Right. So so it's how he generated his income. So when Jesus told him to push his boat out of the water and told him how to put his nets on the other side of the boat, what he was in essence doing was telling him what to do with his money. Right. Right. So so here's the thing. Like Jesus cares about how you spend cash. He cares about how you spend your money. Why? Because he doesn't relinquish ownership of something when he lends it to you and he wants to be consulted on how you spend it. He's got a diverse portfolio. He owns all the seas and everything in them. He's, in, he's infinitely rich, but he's given us the opportunity to be stewards. So there can be no good stewardship until there's accurate awareness or acute awareness of who really owns things. So God is saying, you better consult me before you make a decision on your money. You better stop giving your money to sweet chicks all the time and going out on Friday nights. You better honor me with your wealth and figure out how I want you to spend money. The reason that some of us are drowning in debt and materialism is because we keep on buying things we don't need because we're trying to impress people we don't know. And God is saying one of the reasons that you're struggling in materialism and you're struggling with your money is because you are, co you are making a move with your money without a cosign from me. He's saying you better talk to me first. 
got to talk to me first. But here, here, here's a good point. Here's a point. We're going to transition out of that. And here's what's interesting. I wonder, like when I was looking at this passage, I was like, man, how long was Jesus' sermon? How long was Jesus' sermon? So, so Peter is tired, angry, hungry, probably lonely, wants to see his wife. How long did Jesus preach for, right? How long did he do it? So what was, what was Peter doing while he waited for Jesus to preach? Well, I'll tell you what he was doing. He was sitting there with the right posture waiting on Jesus. He was sitting in the boat across from Jesus, listening to Jesus preach, and he was just waiting. So my, my question for you is, what's your posture while you wait for Jesus? What's your posture while you wait for Jesus? I'll tell you what it should be. We need to wait while we wait. It means, oh, Lord, you want, I, I'm going to ensure satisfaction, Father. What do you want me to do while I wait on you? Oh, you want me to be a community group host? No problem, Jesus, I'll go do it. Oh, you want me to honor you with my wealth? Oh, God, I'll make sure that I do it. You want me to grow in grace and spend time with other brothers and sisters that are going to help me grow while I pursue what I want? Oh, God, I'll do it. See, some of us need to wait on Jesus, serve the saints, give continuously, and pray while we wait on Jesus to change our circumstance. This is, what he, this is what Lazarus, this is what he said. He said, Father, he said, Jesus said, he stopped speaking. He told, he told Simon this. He said, take your nets and cast them on the other side. So he eventually obeys Jesus. But here's what he thought. When he says, when he says that, Master, we've worked all, hard all night, what he was thinking or what he was saying is that my plan is better than your plan. That's what he was ultimately saying. He was saying, God, I believe that what I am a commercial fisherman. I know how to do this fishing thing. And what you're doing is you're going about it the wrong way. So let me encourage you, while you're waiting for Jesus and while he's accelerating your life, don't fall into the temptation of believing that your plans are better than his. That's why he tells us in Proverbs 3, don't lean to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge simply means to, to consult with him with the intent to submit to him. So he's saying, you better submit to me before you start something. You better talk to me and consult with me. Before you end it, you need to consult with me. Before you say, I do, or start thinking about saying, I do, you need to consult me. He said, because you and I don't view situations the same way. You upset that you got denied that promotion. And he's like, well, the, the whole department was toxic. And you was going to work 60 hours and forget all about me. You're like, God, where is the wealth that I thought I was going to have an inheritance and have a little money? And he's like, listen, you don't know what the wealth of riches will do for your soul. They might turn you away from me. So where you see rejection, Jesus is giving you some direction. But he's saying, while, while you don't understand, I need you to wait on me. He said, I need you to trust me in the absence of your understanding because you are not going to understand everything that I'm doing. You are limited, you are finite, you are, you are immersed in sin, but I will give you wisdom because I know how to cross, I know how to, to coagulate things in your life all from eternity so you can walk in my plans. That's what he's saying. Here's my last point. If you want to walk in, if you, wanna, if you want your life to accelerate, you have to embrace God's new direction. Embrace God's new direction. So he called, this was the, the catch of the lifetime. He caught all these fish. And what God was saying, he said, I just need to remind you that I'm Lord of all things. He said, the reason that you can fish during the daytime and catch more fish during that time than you do the night is because I need you to see that I can do all things. I'm the Lord of the nature. I'm the Lord of your workplace. I'm the Lord of the men and their daily work. I'm the one that scooped up the mountains. I'm the one that scooped out the valleys. I'm the one that covered the earth with green vegetation. I'm the one that painted the sky blue, painted it with clouds. I am the Lord of all things, including your work. So he was saying that I am the Lord. And that's why Peter stopped calling him master and started calling him Lord. 
So he called a master before because he was simply affirming Jesus' teaching ability. He was like, he, what he was saying was, Lord, I know you're theologically correct. That's what master says. Master says, I know that your theology is tight. But the Lord says now the tightness of your theology is being applied through my life through the power of the gospel. That's what he's saying. So it's I move from just knowing a thing to putting my trust in a thing. And this is a life-changing moment. Here, It just says it right now. Here's the most impactful statement in the passage, in my, in my opinion. He tells him, from now on, he's going to make him a fisher of men. That's interesting. He's saying that, that if you want to accelerate, you got to embrace God's new direction for your life. Peter woke up a fisherman, and he went to bed that night as a fisher of men. He, he was leaving the family business. So instead of catching fish full time, he was going to be catching people full time. I, 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 love the, I love the connotation of this word, catching. It simply means catch alive. It's the connotation that we are going to um, uh, rescue people from danger. That's what he's saying. He said, Pat, Peter, you're used to catching food and eating them, but he's saying, I'm going to do something different. You're going to rescue people from the deep sea of sin and bring them safely to the seashores of salvation. So here's the thing. One of the reasons that God changes and accelerates your life, it isn't for you to get more stuff. It's so that you can be a testament of his goodness and lead other people to Jesus. He wants your words and your life and your action to spew gospel nutrition. He wants you to be able to tell people about the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and how you were on a collision course with sin, but how Jesus stepped in at the opportune time and changed your life. He wants, to, he wants you to tell people about how your life was in imminent domain, how it was about to experience all type of pain. But Jesus said, instead of you bearing the burden of your sin, I'm going to take it upon myself. I'm going to run this hundred meters. I'm going to get the gold medal and I'm going to take the medal off of my neck and I'm going to give it to you so you can have victory. God ain't accelerating you so that you can just get more stuff. It's not about materialism. It's about leading people to Jesus. And here, I'm going to close on this. Remember, I was reading through Luke 15. It was impactful verses. It's called the lost chapter. You got a lost sheep. You had the lost coin, and then you got a lost son. And it just simply says that the sheep got lost. So the good shepherd in his mercy decided that he was going to leave the 99 in a safe place. And he was going to pursue after that one. Now, I, this is what I want you to get. Imagine the emotional turmoil that that sheep was experiencing. Here, they're in a desert, wandering away from community by themselves. And let me tell you, that sheep is each one of us. But then the good shepherd pursued after him. And then what I like is this. The shepherd took the sheep and put it on its back. And that signifies rest. I'm just here to tell you. Some of y'all want to embrace this new life. But you have to realize that Jesus is saying, Stop pursuing after stuff and pursue after me. I want to change your situation. Stop trying to be the God of your life and embrace my lordship in your life. Father, we do thank you for the abundance of your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your grace that's been given to us so richly in Christ Jesus. Father, we honor you. We thank you, God. You, you, you are so good in spite of the, the circumstances that we experience. Lord, we, we want to accelerate. We want to walk in your plans and purposes. But we know that that starts with submission to you recognizing, God, that you can change our situation, Lord, but we appreciate the cross. We appreciate the resurrection. And, God, we pray that you will work in and through our hearts to do of your good pleasure. So, Lord, we honor you, we thank you, and we give you glory in Jesus' name.
Amen.